Hello, Monetization Nation. Tim O'Reilly, the founder of O'Reilly Media, said, What new technology does is create new opportunities to do a job that customers want done. Technology has created a new type of venture, digital ventures. As the internet and technology become more and more a part of our lives, it is essential that businesses take advantage of them. Brad Pace, my guest for today, has been a part of eight successful digital ventures that we'll discuss in today's episode. Brad is a former business partner of mine. We were partners in a company called Social Nexus, where we did a lot of work creating digital ventures with Brazilian companies. He's also worked on many other successful digital ventures, including Ancestry.com, MyFamily.com, About.com, Finicity, World Vital Records, and more. He's currently the president of Team Dial, and we will learn his stories and secrets right after this intro. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. I'm joined today with Brad Pace. And Brad Pace is a former business partner of mine, and I, I loved doing business with him. And Brad and I were, were partners in a consulting and digital development firm called Social Nexus. And uh, we, during that time, we actually did a lot of work for Brazilian companies. And we'll talk about maybe some of the global implications of that. But in addition, working with me at Social Nexus, Brad has also worked at Novell, Ancestry.com, About.com, Finicity, World Vital Records, Family Link, Partner Fusion, Travel Pass Group, Soar.com, and Team Dial. So Brad's got some amazing stories to tell, and uh, we look forward to Brad sharing some of those stories with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. It's good to be here. Let's start at the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey, and maybe you can just Tell us the stories here. Where do you consider the start? Do you, would you go back to Novell? Would you go back to Ancestry? So I graduated from the University of Utah with an electrical engineering degree and went right into corporate R&D at Novell, which was a great opportunity. You know, that was the mid-90s. Uh, things were just, the internet was just trying to take off. We're doing some interesting things there. We we're actually building uh, one of the first, what we'd call a cloud based platform today, clustering product for Novell. And, uh, and so that was very interesting. But I heard about this new startup called Ancestry that was a genealogy magazine. They had just gone online in 1997 or something. And, uh, and there was an opening for a developer. So I thought, well, I loved all the internet stuff. Um, I'd already been doing some of it for Novell. And uh, so I jumped in uh, and I was, I think about maybe the 30th employee at Ancestry that was hired. So we started there. Uh, I was uh, one of the first developers working on myfamily.com, which as you know, later became a top 10 web property. Um, it was a subscription-based social family network, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so we launched myfamily.com. And during that process, uh, I helped build the first online family tree at Ancestry, which was very exciting. And before you go forward, let's talk about a couple of these because you've done some extremely exciting projects. So I remember that myfamily.com project. I was a subscriber of that and um, became one of the top 10 
uh, most used internet sites. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what made that so successful and, and why it grew so quickly and then maybe what happened to it? You know, why, why isn't it around today? Well, so, so two words, uh, why it took off, and it was photo sharing. It was one of the first photo sharing sites on the internet. Um, at, this, at the time, there was MySpace, which people really weren't, was the big you know, social network at the time. And uh, people were doing stuff on there. They weren't really sharing photos. But in myfamily.com, we made it really easy to share photos between uh, you and your extended family. And so people just loved that. And, and at the time, we had, we had more photos shared um, on our network than anyone else on the internet. Uh, it was a subscription-based business at the time. Uh, as far as we could tell, it was the second largest subscription service on the internet uh, behind a particular adult website. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so we, we had some really big successes there. It was interesting because as we uh, got new VC money and new funding, um, you know, the priority there kind of kept, kept shifting. And for, for various reasons, they decided to pull, pull away from the family social network and, uh, and go all into genealogy and then eventually to DNA testing and all the things that they do now. So sure. when, when you hear people telling the story of social networks on the internet, you know, they start off with Friendster, you know, some of those early ones, but you had Friendster beat. Okay, let's talk about about.com. You went from Ancestry to about.com. So uh, we had been um, purchased. We, it was a company here in Utah that had been purchased by about.com, which was headquartered in New York City. In the year 2000, they were the huge thing, right? Like everyone went to about.com to get their information and they had human curated content and, you know, like, like you know, probably one of the top five internet properties. And, uh, um, and so they bought us make a free web hosting type company. So we had just hundreds of thousands of free websites that we were hosting, uh, you know, Bluehost or whatever, one of these virtual hosting systems. Um, and what we were, were building at Biz Hosting was basically Wix or something like that, right? A point and click web, web builder um, to go with our, with all of our hosting products. And so um, so that was very exciting. It was, it was fun to be in the, in the, on the product side of that, making product decisions, doing mock-ups, understanding usability and what people want to do and how they're, you know, at that time we didn't have all the tools we have today for tracking and for analytics and, you know, all, you know, now we have this plethora of tools and obviously then we didn't have that. And so it was, more difficult, but, uh, but I enjoyed that a lot. It was interesting as we interacted with about.com. Uh, I remember those about.com days. That was the human curated search engine with expert content created instead of crawling and aggregating everybody else's content. They were trying to create it all themselves. Let's go to Finicity. I'm going to tell us a little bit more about what Finicity did. And well, so Finicity was a, is an online budgeting system. And we were one of the first ones to kind of bring, um, if you know what envelope budgeting is, it's a traditional budgeting method where you'd actually take your money and you put it in envelopes and you say, I have an envelope for food and I have an envelope for my spending money and you know, whatever, right? And you'd have these envelopes and you would have real money and you put it in there. And then people stopped using real money, cash money. 
And so we, we built a, a budgeting system around that mentality. Uh, and it worked really great and it was good. Um, again, <laughs> the problem that they had was they did not have a platform mentality. At the point, we got to a certain point where we had so much data, we were connecting into people's bank accounts and actually scraping all of their financial information in so that they could budget with it. And they thought that the value in that was the subscription to use our software. When in actuality, the value in that was the data that we were collecting, right? So that we could do targeting. And what happened was, you know, we were several years into that, a new company called Mint came in, offered the whole thing for free. They had a platform mentality. They understood the value of the data that they were collecting. And that's the end of the story. Okay, let's move on to World Vital, Vital Records, another recurring revenue stream company that you built, another subscription. So again, the founder of Ancestry, who is Paul Allen, uh, not Microsoft Paul Allen, but Utah Paul Allen, <laughs> and uh, um, his non-compete had ended with Ancestry. Uh, he had left there and he had a five-year non-compete or something. After that ended, he wanted to get back in the genealogy space. He loved it so much. And so he, 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 he called me. Um, I went in there. We were, we were just a brand new startup. Uh, and uh, again, we were doing a genealogy startup. This one was a little more interesting in that uh, the difference between Ancestry and our genealogy startup was we were basically leasing the content. We weren't owning the content. And so there were a lot of genealogy content owners in the world that had their own like little mini site, right? Like, oh, I have one database of birth and de death records in Argentina and I've spent my whole life pulling this together and I'm not gonna sell it to Ancestry. Well, we came in with a model that was like, well, we're gonna put it in our database and we're gonna pay you a percentage of our subscriptions based on the usage of your content. And so I wanna talk a little bit about what we pivoted to the, the we're related app and, and kind of what that business model was. Mm -hmm. So, um, so our CEO, Paul Allen, uh, got invited to the launch of developer um, SDK that, uh, that Facebook launched, right? And so Facebook had this great idea, hey, we're gonna let third party third parties develop on our platform. And so people started, you know, so they could develop all of these different apps, whether they were games or whatever. And so we were there when they announced that. And we quickly said, hey, we're gonna build um, an app for Facebook to connect with families. Because at the time on Facebook, you couldn't go in and say, this is my mom and this is my dad and this is my brother. And I'm gonna group all of them together and communicate different messages to my family. I, I'm not totally sure. I, I, the number that's, that I remember is 60 million, and I remember we hit the fourth largest app install, but, but we could have been hit more than that you know, it could have, as it kept growing. Yeah. So this is a perfect example of, of, of building, a, building a, a, a skyscraper on someone else's land, right? Because that's what we <laughs> did. We, 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 we launched this thing. I mean, on the very first day, we melted down our servers. We jumped to, um, to the Amazon cloud. We got the whole thing going. We scaled up to 60 million users. It was a huge success. We had offers from, from Disney to buy our app, right? Because we had so many people there, in there. So there's multiple lessons there. Number one, if you're going to build a skyscraper, build it on land you own. Number two is if you are going to build on land someone else owns, 
you need to also build something on a different piece of land that you own. I can think of one more lesson that was learned to, that I learned from that is, you know, every entrepreneur, it seems, believes their business is always going to go up. And, and almost by definition, entrepreneurs underestimate the risk that their business is going to go down. And especially that risk when you're dependent upon somebody else, someone, another platform, something out of your control. Okay, do you want to talk a little bit about Social Nexus? And uh, Well, uh, I like Social Nexus because, like you said, we were working with a lot of Brazilian companies uh, and doing a lot of projects in Brazil, uh, which for me later became, became key. Um, the, the connections that I made in Brazil, and you and I already had connections to Brazil and both speak Portuguese and the whole thing, right? But at Travel Pass, I ended up using and building a team in Brazil with, a, with some of the same people that we used, and they're still there. We built a team of 30 developers in Brazil, and it became key to our business. And so that was one of the, one of the great things. Um, with Social Nexus, we got to do some really fun projects there, which I which I felt was 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 great. I, I think that that what we were doing there was was fun in that that we were funding our business by doing consulting work, uh, and then using that money to to put back into our business to build our own products. And yeah. so uh, I thought that you know a lot of people talk about that. Uh, we pulled that off. And, you know, I think we're one of the few who could do that. I, you know, I mean, you know the numbers, however many uh, millions of dollars we, we spent on domain names alone to build a, a domain portfolio um, and the assets that, that ended up being valuable to sell. And so fun that we, could, that we could do both, both the consulting side and build our own product. All right, talk to me about uh, Partner Fusion for a bit and, and Travel Pass. And and the amazing projects you guys did there. Okay. Uh, so uh, after we sold Social Nexus, um, I uh, had some, some friends that I kind of worked with secondhand for a long time. We'd wanted to work together. Um, and so that very, you know, that very next week I went and had lunch with them and they're like, hey, you're hired. And so I was one of the six <laughs> founders of of this new company. They had been a, a marketing agency doing a lot of, you know, agency work for different airlines and different Las Vegas shows and, and, and hotels and things, mostly in kind of that travel entertainment space. But, but they wanted to pivot into to, to being an actual platform or a product company. And what par Partner Fusion was basically an internet incubator uh, and so we had a whole bunch of little businesses under Partner Fusion. We had a hotel, we had a couple of hotel sites. We had uh, an airline uh, selling airline ticket site. Uh, we had a, uh, um, a show ticket site where we sell shows in Las Vegas. Um, uh, we even had like a health and nutrition site. Like we did, we bounced a lot of things around. And like any good incubator, the ones that stick and the best ones are the ones you you know, that you run with. And so by far the best was uh, in the hotel space. And so, uh, so we spent all of our time uh, selling hotel rooms and, and changed our name to, to Travel Pass. So we were selling hotel rooms through some of the big OTAs like uh, Expedia and, 
and uh, Priceline and Booking.com. And there's a whole bunch of wholesalers in that space that all have hotel inventory. And so we became an OTA, an online travel agency. We were having a lot of success. We were doubling, um, doubling our growth every year. Uh, uh, and, uh, and it was, uh, it, it was a really good business. Now, uh, it's interesting because travel pass was probably 90% dependent on, um, traffic from paid search. So we were really heavy into paid search, spending millions of dollars a day, um, in Google on paid search. And do you know who the number one buyer of Google AdWords is? Who their biggest advertiser is? Amazon. No, booking.com. Booking.com <laughs> buys more ads from Google than anyone else in the world, okay? And that's who we're competing against. We're like, how can this little OGA compete against Booking.com? Uh, well, uh, one, it was because we were scrappy and agile, right? We could move very quickly. Uh, two, uh, because uh, we paid attention to, to some of these uh, to some of these small details. We knew our customers, I think, better than anyone. And so we grew that business uh, over, the, over the last, I left there last year, um, was there for over eight years. Uh, and we grew that in about four years to be about a $450 million business. We were doing $450 million of bookings a year. Wow. Uh, we were doing more bookings for, um, for Expedia than any of their partners, including like Amex travel and like some of these, you know, big businesses, uh, uh, usually doing, you know, $1.5 million worth of hotel bookings every year or every day, sorry, $1.5 million of hotel bookings a, a day. And so um, to accomplish that, uh, we had to, we had to build a platform. And so we built a hotel booking platform because we, we realized that because we were basically the largest private OTA, everyone else had been bought, like Orbitz had been bought by, um, by Expedia, right? Uh, Kayak had been bought by Priceline. Booking.com got bought by Priceline, right? Like there's the, all, of these, uh, all of these companies were getting bought and we were uh, the largest kind of third party OTA which meant that we had the inventory of booking.com and Priceline and Expedia and all these wholesalers. And so our platform would, would combine all of this hotel inventory from wherever it was and then pull it in, figure out who had the best price and the best rooms on a hotel and then give that to our, to our customers. And so instead of um, puking up, you know, 500 results, 50 results on a hotel room, like, like Kayak did. Now, uh, there were a couple of other secrets in that business. One was, you know, over the last 10 years, obviously when we started, um, all, all of our bookings were happening on desktop, right? And then as the shift to mobile moved, we'd have this quarterly business review with our Google, our Google team. And uh, they're like, well, you know, Mobile searches are up. You've got to be on mobile searches. You've got to be on mobile. And yeah, call centers um, in, uh, in Latin America, and uh, which I guess we would consider near shore, right? Call centers. And it was great because most of those, most of the people that we could hire in those call centers all lived or grew up in the US. 
and most of them had hardly any accent. And the few that did have an accent, it's much easier for people to understand a Latin accent than an, you know, an Indian or a, a, some other accent. And so, uh, talk to me about Soar.com. Uh, Soar.com is is a, an expert coaching platform. Uh, Soar.com is a couple of different things. Um, again, this was with um, with my friend Paul Allen. So this is the third time that we came together on a startup, and. Uh, uh, and so Paul had worked Gallup uh, and had worked with a lot of coaches. And so what, what we want to do is we want to build a platform to help coaches run their business. There's a lot of individual coaches. Um, I had never had a coach up until that point. It quickly became apparent to me the value of having a, a personal coach, whether that's a business coach or whether that's a, a, a you know, a fitness or a health coach, or whether that's a, a life coach or whatever, right? There, there's some Google really good information. What's yeah. that? Or a Google paid ad coach, right? Yeah, yeah. And so skill you're wanting. So we were building, um, so we built a, a, a platform for coaches um, to, to manage their business. Every coach kind of runs their business as a small business. And so we provided Zoom conferencing, we provided billing, we provided, um, help with their marketing. We provided master classes to them. A lot of those coaches didn't know how to market their businesses properly or even understand who their target audience was. And so we were doing all of those types of things. At the same time, we had a, another part of SOAR.com or of SOAR uh, that was based on voice technologies. We had an app uh, in Alexa. And so we were building this app to provide the best information um, through voice technology, um, you know, that you could get. And so, uh, so we had all this content that was all made available through Alexa. And so there's a whole business model there. We're still pursuing that um, on the source side. Any type of an app that would work for Alexa or for Google Voice or Microsoft Cortana or for Samsung, we're building applications for those. And so, uh, uh, and, and one of the reasons we got into that is we had a large contract with one of the uh, top sales training companies in the world. They had all this content that would sit on their interweb somewhere, um, you know, just hours and hours and hours of CD training and, and all of this like videos and voice and podcasts, and then none of their people would ever use it. Right. And so what we did is made all of that available through an app for them. And so they could say, you know, Alexa, what are the four sales techniques that I need to use? And it would, and, you know, it would go right into the audio that they were looking for. And so, uh, so we had some really great um, uh, voice kind of tagging and searching um, technology that we we're using to make that happen. Um, uh, we had an interface where you could upload any of your own audio and then you could, with a, with a simple voice command, have it play it back. And so for example, I uploaded uh, a genealogy file of my great, great grandfather at his 80th birthday that was recorded in the sixties, right? <laughs> I uploaded it into um, our SOAR app and then we're sitting at the table uh, with my dad. And I said, um, dad, you know, I said, SOAR um, play grandpa Western. And uh, all of a sudden grandpa Western is, singing his silly songs that he sang at his 80th birthday party. Uh, you know, and it just was this really great moment. And so those are the types of things that, that we were doing at SOAR. 
uh, and uh, it was really fun. Uh, but again, problems with fundraising and the, and the virus. Uh, now I'm working on a company called Team Dial. And uh, again, a, a guy that I've always wanted to work with, uh, they have a, a call center that they've been running for, for eight plus years, building technology for that call center. And, uh, and I came in and said, we should make this, this software um, self-serve and then people just use it themselves. And so we're doing a new, this new startup called um, Team Dial. Uh, that will allow people to, to organize and make their outbound calls um, from their small team. So say you're an insurance agent and you have five people in your office and you want to, um, to make sure that they're making those outbound calls that they need to. It's interesting because even with email and social media and all, texting and all these things, the best way to connect to customers is still through voice. And, um, and having a call from your insurance agent saying, hey, you know, I need to meet with you to go over your policies you know, is still a great way to build those relationships. And so that's uh, what I'm doing here. I've been doing this since June and uh, uh, we're in full in startup mode. I'm the only person in my office here right now. And, uh, uh, and so I love the startup space and, and I, I love the stuff we're doing, so. Well, Brad, I wish you all of the success possible with your new venture. I'm sure it will be wildly successful. And I'm excited for you that you're president this time. I'm excited for you that you're, you're the one leading the show and calling the shots. And I'm sure that'll work really well. Um, don't, don't bet against Brad. And if people uh, enjoyed this episode and they want to learn more about you and Team Dial, how can they best reach out to you? Uh, well, I'm on LinkedIn, um, uh, linkedin.com slash radpace, and my name without a B, radpace. Uh, and then uh, just teamdial.com is our website and we're just starting to sell it. And if you're a small business and, and uh, need people to make some outbound calls, then this is the, the product for you. So that's it. Thank you so much, Brad, for sharing your stories and knowledge with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, as Brad did with Finicity, we may be able to take something that works in the physical world and transfer it into the digital world. Number two, as with the Wheeler-related Facebook app, we should build skyscrapers on land we own and avoid building our skyscrapers on leased land. Number three, Brad and I both had connections to Brazil before doing Social Nexus. We can find successful concepts or products from one market and use our connections to take them to another market. This is called cool hunting. Number four, just like Partner Fusion or Travel Pass tested many different verticals and then decided to focus on hotel bookings, we can also test different opportunities and then focus on the opportunity that proves the most successful. Number five, we can add new product lines by selling coaching to our existing customers. If you enjoyed this interview and want to connect with Brad or his business, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile on the blog post for this episode or visit his company website at teamdial.com. Did you like today's episode? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, get a free monetization assessment of your business or subscribe to the Monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. Number two, please subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast or YouTube channel. 
Number three, please follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. Could cool hunting work for you? Is there a product or service that has proven successful in one market that you could take to another market? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. And thanks for joining us for this episode. I hope you have a fabulous day. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.